Well, good morning. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and I'm excited this morning. <laughs> I'm excited to uh, be opening up the Word of God with you, specifically to this passage of Scripture. Now, we're mostly going to be in Ruth uh, chapter 1 this morning, but please, this week, do something for me. Uh, sometime throughout the week, sit down and read the rest of Ruth. In fact, sit down and read it totally in one sitting, and you're like, whoa, it's, it's three pages long, okay? And if uh, you're a slow reader like me, it takes about 20 minutes to read through it. Do that sometime this week, and while you're doing it, look and worship through this book of the Bible. It has so many layers. It's a beautiful story of God's sovereignty and loss and love and redemption and, lo and loyalty. Uh, Ruth gives us a glimpse into the big picture. Um, it gives us a glimpse into how God is working even when we can't see him. During difficult and dark times, in and through ordinary people, living ordinary lives, God is working in order to accomplish his purposes for his glory and for our good. And it is a cool story. So let's jump right in. Verse one, Ruth one, verse one, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Okay, so this is taking place during the time of the judges. This takes place sometime between the death of Joshua and the life of Samuel. And it's a dark time in Israel's history. In fact, uh, in Judges, it talks about the time in this way. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, pastor and author Zach Eswine writes this about the time of Ruth and the Judges. It says, while everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the reformers sought to turn the spiritual tide. People like Gideon and Deborah and the promise of Genesis 3.15, the promise of a deliverer was being pursued by God on a mundane farm amid the shattered and recovered dreams of ordinary love and life. This story takes place during a dark time, but there's an amazing ending. And I think in order for us to read chapter one in its proper perspective this morning, I think we have to go to the ending. And especially for those of you who may have never read through Ruth before, you need to see the ending. So, spoiler alert, here we go. Turn over really quick to Ruth chapter four. It's one page over, Ruth four. And look down at verse 13. It says this, so Boaz, and you're like, whoa, wait, who's Boaz? Boaz, when you read through the rest of Ruth this week, you'll read about Boaz. Boaz is this stud of a man who comes on scene, who is able to marry Ruth and carry on the family name through that, okay? So that's Boaz. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. Skip down to verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, 
the father of David. So quick summary, here's what happened. Ruth ends up marrying Boaz, spoiler, okay? Ruth marries Boaz, who's a near kinsman, and they have a child, Obed. Obed fathers Jesse. Jesse fathers the greatest king of Israel, David. And eventually, this leads to the Messiah. This book of the Bible is all about God working to prepare the way for King David, and eventually, Jesus Christ. But... You're going to hear a lot of these today. But this story looks very different on the ground level. It looks very different in the micro picture of the story because it involves real people living real lives, experiencing real hardship and difficulty with limited sight and limited understanding. And because of that, we can learn a ton. So let's look at the story. So um, it's in the time of the judges, all right? And, and here's what happens. By the way, there's lots of names in here. I'm gonna butcher them all, okay? That's okay, all right? The time of the judges, and there's a man named Elimelech, and he has a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, all right? And there is famine in the land of Judah. And so they, he takes his family and they leave from the land of Judah, and they go to the land of Moab, where there isn't famine. And when they get there, somewhere in there, Elimelech dies. And his sons, Mahlon and Kilion, end up marrying two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Ruth definitely has the better name out of the bunch. Orpah and Ruth. And then sometime in there, Mahlon and Kilion die. So this is where this first paragraph leads us. It leaves us with tragedy. Naomi has lost her husband, and now she has lost her two sons, and these women have lost their husbands. And this is even a bigger deal when you consider in ancient times the idea of the family name being carried on, and the fact that there was an opportunity here for it to be totally wiped out because father and sons have died. So they're suffering during dark times in this first paragraph. Keep going. Look down at uh, verse 6 and 7. Basically, they hear that the Lord has visited. This has visited here is uh, the idea of divine intervention. So the Lord has acted on behalf of his people in the land of Judah, and he has given them food. And the famine is over. The Lord has reversed the famine. So Naomi hears about this in Moab. And so she gets her daughters-in-law. They get up and they start to head back to Judah. Somewhere along the way, not sure where, she stops. And you have verse 8 that says, go, return each of you to her mother's house. So here Naomi is like, hey, listen, we're going back to Judah. I want to go back, but you you need to return back to Moab. Return back to your people. Go back. I have nothing for you. You're better off there. And she prays for them in verse eight. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. Be loyal to you is what that means. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, may the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So what she's saying, she's saying, don't stay with me. Go back to your people and to your land and there find a husband and have a family and live happy lives. 
Okay, and then look down, verse 10. It keeps going, and they say to her, no, we will return with you to your people. And then she keeps going. Naomi goes on and she says, no, turn back. No, turn back. And she keeps telling them, go back to your people. Go back to your people. What's happening here? Why is she continually telling them to go back? Well, one thing that's interesting in here that we have to note is, is that she keeps telling them, I don't have sons for you. What's that mean? All right, here's what's going on there. There's a marriage custom of the time that involved this. If she had another son, this single son could marry his deceased brother's widow. Okay, you got that? So brother could marry his deceased brother's widow and have children in order to preserve the dead brother's family line. Okay, that's what she's talking about. And she's saying, I can't have sons. I'm too old. I can't do it. Even if I had sons today, you wouldn't wait around for them. And I wouldn't want you to go back to your people. I think there's two reasons here why she is persistently telling them, go back, go back, go back. One, she loves them dearly. She loves her daughters-in-law. And she says, don't stay with me. Go back, have a family, be happy. And I think there's another reason she's so persistent, and that's because Naomi has lost hope completely. She has suffered immensely at this point, and we have to be careful. We know the end of the story. She didn't. She's right in the thick of this suffering. Now, something interesting is, is Naomi's theology here, what she believes about God. Um, throughout this time, Naomi, Naomi never doubts that there is a God. That's great. Not only does she not doubt that there is a God, she never doubts that God is in control of everything. Okay, commendable. But she's interpreting her circumstances improperly. Look at verse 13 at the end. It says, no, my daughters... For is it exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me? She assumes that God is against her when we know that's not the case, right? We've seen the end of the story. We know that God is working out everything according to his purposes for her good and for the good of all mankind. He's going to provide a deliverer through this line. She doesn't see that right here, does she? Look at verse 14. It says, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She's told them to go back, go back, go back three times. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and she does what? She does the logical thing. She doesn't do the wrong thing. She does the logical thing and she goes back to her people like Naomi has asked her to do. But... Not Ruth. It says Ruth clung to her. This word, this word in the Hebrew, okay, Pastor Doug told me I needed to use some Hebrew, so here we go. <laughs> Debak is this word in Hebrew, all right? It's the same word used in Genesis 2.24 when talking about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. This hold fast to, cling to, cleave to. This is what Ruth is doing to Naomi. She's like, I am not leaving you. I'm going with you. And then verse 15, Naomi comes back and says, look, one more time, for the fourth time, go back. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Look, your sister-in-law, she went back. You go back too. And then Ruth says what she says in verse 16. She has this awesome speech. I think it's one of the best in the Bible. And, uh, and I've got to read it. Verse 16, it says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to abandon you or, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death departs me. Naomi is gonna leave family. She's gonna leave her culture, her people, possibly give up the opportunity of being married and having children and go to an unknown people in an unknown culture to follow Naomi. She leaves everything behind to go with Naomi and to serve the Lord. And it's interesting because she uses covenant language here, okay? Uh, She swears an oath. She says, may the Lord, and she swears by the name of the Lord, the covenant name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. And by doing this, she declares him to be her God. So this is This is Ruth's driving the stake in the ground moment here, what we like to call it, where she drives the stake in the ground and says, from this point forward, I choose to follow the Lord and to go with you, Naomi, to your people. This is a big deal. And it's interesting to see that Naomi is walking by sight here, isn't she? She's walking by what she sees, by the circumstances that are right in front of her. And Ruth is walking by faith. She leaves everything and sacrifices it all to serve the Lord and follow Naomi. Keep going down to verse 19. <clears throat> they end up getting back to Judah, to the land of Beth, to Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, and it's all stirred up. I'm not sure why. Maybe uh, they remembered. Uh, Naomi from 10 years previous to this, when they lived here, maybe they've heard about the hardships that Naomi and her family have been through. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But they end up saying, this is Naomi. And then you've got Naomi's kind of anti-speech compared to Ruth's awesome speech. And she's like, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant Call me Mara, and you have to say it that way, Mara. Call me bitter, bitter for the Almighty. She uses Shaddai, this name for the Lord that focuses on his sovereignty and emphasizes the fact that he is the divine judge of the world who gives and takes away life as he pleases and justly so. She uses that, so she's still not doubting that there is a God and that he is in control of everything, but... Notice it says, he's testified against me and brought calamity upon me. She's still seeing her circumstances improperly. She acknowledges that God is in control of everything, but she wrongly sees only what he has taken away and not what he has provided. And then look, uh, verse 22 at the very end, and it says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Really cool. 
Remember how this all started at the beginning of the chapter? What started in famine in chapter one is ending at harvest time. All right, so two truths. Two truths. There could be a million from this passage of scripture. We're gonna focus on two this morning. Two truths from this passage. We wanna focus on one. God is at work. Trust him. God is at work. Trust him. John Piper says this. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. God is working even when we can't see, even when we don't understand. He's working. He's working in us and through us. He's working in others and through others in order to accomplish his purposes for his glory and our good. But we struggle to trust God, don't we? With big things and with little things. We struggle. Why? Why do we struggle so much to trust God? A couple reasons, I think. One, it's a struggle because we can't always see how he's working. And we don't understand why he's allowing the things that he's allowing in this world and in our lives and in others' lives. And we forget in the dark what we knew in the light. We forget in dark times what we knew in the light to be true of God and his character and the way that he works. We forget his mercy and his goodness and his love and his justice. Uh, when I was a kid, we, uh, we used to go down to these caves, I think in Kentucky, and visit them and tour them. And there are these massive caves underground. If you've ever been down there, I don't know which ones they were, but, but we went in huge caves and you go in and granted there's, there's railings along the way and there's exit signs. I mean, they've got to meet fire code in these caves, okay? But, but as we go in, I remember you'd stop at this one point in the tour and they'd say, now, is what we're going to do is we're going to turn off all the lights. We want you to see how dark it's going to be in here. And so they did. And you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And I don't know if anybody else is like this, but I get a little bit claustrophobic. And, uh, and when that starts happening, like, whew, I start breathing a little heavier. And I start to get a little worried. And I'm like, Okay, the walls are closing in on me. I can't see what's happening and this, this bothers me. And even though there were exit signs, even though I knew that in a couple minutes the lights were gonna come back on and it was all gonna be just fine, I was worried because I couldn't see. We forget in the dark what we knew in the light, don't we? We forget in hard times and it's easy to forget what we know to be true of God, we forget that he is completely and perfectly trustworthy. Remember last week, remember the comforts of the manger? Uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's love for us, his presence with us, God's grace towards us. We forget that, don't we? And we begin to doubt and our trust wavers and we're tempted to start asking, God, do you care? 
do you, do you understand? Do you see? And when we're tempted to start asking that, the cross offers us an eternal reminder and it testifies to God's love for us and his control over everything. And this book points to the beauty of the cross of Christ, the Redeemer. So we struggle because it's hard to see sometimes. We also struggle to trust God because uh, we fail to see him big enough. We'll be talking more about this in the next couple weeks, Pastor Doug will be, but we fail to see him big enough. We fail to see him as creator, as redeemer, as king, as just judge of the world, both in famine and in harvest, who rules over it all. We also struggle to trust God because we expect him to work how we want him to work. We struggle to trust God because we expect him to work how we want him to work. Look, look at verse 20 at the anti-speech here by Naomi, okay? This is interesting. It says, and she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Watch. <clears throat> I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now that's really interesting. Because remember how she went away? Remember the beginning of the chapter? Why did they leave the land? There was famine, right? So she literally went away empty. And then remember, how does she come back? At harvest, and so she's come back literally with the full tummy. Okay, so, so that's interesting. But look, as she says, I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. What is her definition of full and empty here? Her definition of full is that she went away as a wife and a mother. And what's empty? She returned with no husband and with no sons. And she's failing to trust God because she's imposing on him her definition of full and empty. And we're like, well, what about Ruth? Ruth's standing right next to her, right? Remember Cleve? She's clinging to her. And she's like, well, she's like, call me Mara. And they're like, who's that? That's Ruth. Don't worry about her. I'm not Naomi. I'm Mara. But what about, shh, don't worry about her. I am empty, you know. Shh, don't look at her. I mean, Ruth's clinging to her. Now, before you're too hard on Naomi, look back at your own life this past year and ask yourself this question. This past year, what was my definition of full and empty? What was my definition of being full and being empty that I possibly imposed on God and allowed to dictate my trust of him? Are you trusting God to work in the way you think is best? Or are you trusting him to work based on what he, in his infinite wisdom, knows to be best? 
for his plan, for his purposes, for his glory, for your good, and with his eternal perspective. But trusting him is hard, isn't it? And I'm not going to tell you, you can just read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll never struggle again to trust God. But I will tell you that it's a choice. It's a daily choice to trust God, understanding that his ways are not our ways, understanding that we will not know why God allows everything that he does, why he doesn't tell us more, why he does or does not do what we expect him to do. We must choose to daily believe, daily to trust him in the light and in the dusk so that when it's dark, we trust him. We must choose to trust him rather than following our feelings down the rabbit hole that that leads us and say that I will trust. I will trust you, Lord. Even though I can't see, I'll trust you. Even though I don't understand, I'll trust you. Even though I don't feel like it, I will choose to trust you, Lord. Lord, help me to trust you. God is at work. Trust him. Second truth. God is at work. See him. God is at work. See him. Sometimes, like Naomi, we fail to see where God is working right in front of us. And we, we fail to see what he is doing, the little glimpses of hope that he's graciously placing in our life and we miss out on opportunities to worship him for what he's allowing us to see and be part of right in front of us. Why do we struggle to see him at work so much? A couple reasons, a couple obstacles that might keep us from seeing God at work in our lives. One, we can be blinded to God at work by pain, suffering, hardship, and loss. This, was, this is natural, right? This was Naomi. She had experienced great loss and great hardship, and she was sad and hurting. And because of that, didn't see the glimpses of God at work right in front of her. What are some of those? Well, one, God visited his people and gave them food and reversed the famine. What else? God provided the friendship and the loyalty of Ruth. What else? Well, later on, you'll meet Boaz. Okay, you'll find out. Like, uh, Ruth comes home. They're like, hey, whose field is it? And, and she's like, well, it's Boaz. And you see, you see Naomi in the text go, Boaz. Oh, he's a, he's a near kinsman. Like, so near. It's like she should have remembered. And she totally forgot it because she was in the midst of her pain and hardship. So we can be blinded by pain and suffering. We can be blinded to God at work right in front of us by the distractions of life. Specifically, the pace of life. Uh, we need to learn better just to be, don't we? Now, I'm going to tell you this only because I've told myself this all week. All right, You can only be in one place at one time. All right, you can only be in one place at one time, no matter what technology tries to tell you otherwise. All right, now I love technology. My iPhone, love it. Twitter, Facebook, I'm not here to tell you, give up this, give up that. No, use it all. Use it all 
for God's good and for his glory, right? Technology is why I'm able to talk to you by microphone today, all right? Technology can be a good thing, but technology can fool us, can it? And we need to learn to walk with Christ and to enjoy him right where we're at so that we don't miss out on what he is doing right in front of us in our lives and in the lives of others. Don't miss opportunities to trust him, to be with him, to enjoy him, to be used by him, to worship him because you're trying to be in more than one place at one time because you're trying to know exactly what's going on in everyone's life at any given moment, and you miss out on what God is doing right in front of you. Um, recently, Amy and I got to take the, uh, the kids to Christmas at the zoo, okay? And I know we took the kids, but really it was for dad, because um, it was really cool. If you've never done it, it's super cool. There's millions of lights, but the lights are just the side show, okay? Because the animals come alive at night. And it's really fun. Like, my daughter let me know that that means they're nocturnal, daddy. You know, it's like, okay, they come out at night and they do funny things that they don't do during the day when they're just sleeping, okay? And my favorite thing to do, because the trip to the zoo was all about me, um, is to see the tigers. And we went to the tigers, and this is one of the best moments we've ever had at the zoo because a raccoon got loose in the tiger pen. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Like, and, and so my, my little boy who's four, like I sit him on the edge of this, of this railing and we're sitting there and we're just, we're just watching because he's cut from the same mold as dad and we're just watching and it's like, oh. And then I, I failed to realize that some people aren't as fascinated by this and they think that their children shouldn't see this. And so we're coming up and you know, parents are like, what's going on? I'm like, there's a raccoon about to get mauled. And they're like hiding their children and running away. And, and we're sitting there and we're watching and it was awesome. I mean, here's these two, 300, if you've ever seen uh, like cats chase mice, it's just like that except souped up, okay? And, and there's these 300 pound cats and they're just like moving like this and you can see all the muscles just rippling up their body and then they'll see, they're working together, two of them, and then they'll see it and they'll just freeze and then they'll crouch and you're like, you know, and, and we're just, Corbin and I are just watching. And while we're doing this, my oldest daughter, Kami, is standing beside us. And she is just, she's like, daddy, daddy, did you know the tigers only live here? And do you know how long their claws are? And they do this and they do that. Wait, why is it doing that, daddy? What do tigers eat, daddy? What do and at one point I turn and I go, shh, just watch. And she, she yells out at the top of her lungs, like in frustration, but dad, I have questions. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, we'll answer those questions. But for a second, just look and listen and marvel. God made that tiger and it's about to consume that raccoon. <laughs> and that's just cool. You know? Slow down. Look. Listen. Marvel. Worship. 
We can be blinded by distractions in life. Lastly, we can be blinded to God at work by self-focus. We can be blinded to God at work by self-focus. We get so focused on us and our pain and our suffering and our pursuits and our life and our needs and our wants and our feelings that we lose sight of what God is doing in the lives of others around us. What he is doing for his glory in their lives and and what he is allowing us to see and be part of. This was Naomi, right? Um, The verse 16, Naomi's like awesome speech. Like she's like, don't, I won't abandon you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will hang out there until I die and be buried next to you. Wow, what a moment. And then Ruth's response in verse 18 to it all. And when Naomi saw this, or Naomi's response, and when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her. She said no more. <laughs> it's like she never response been, okay, Ruth, thank you. Wow, you're choosing to follow Yahweh and come with me. And said she's like, well, I guess if you gotta come with me. Look for God working in the lives of others. Worship him for his work in the lives of others. Celebrate with them. Help them to see God at work. This is community. Small group sign up right now. Yep, cheap plug. Small group sign up is happening right now. For the, you got like another week to sign up for small groups. Sign up for a small group. We're gonna be going through this material called Uncommon Community and learning together how to better live side by side with each other in biblical community. And this is a huge part of that. Together, we look for God at work in each other's lives. Together, we help each other during hard times to trust him, to see him, and to worship him. Look for him at work right in front of you and in the lives of others. Slow down. Marvel. Don't miss God at work right in front of us doing extraordinary things in the ordinary, in his word, in other people, in us, in the daily moments that he graciously allows us to see him at work. Okay. Real quick before we go. Do this, so I want you to do. All right, if you have a piece of paper out, you, uh, if there, there's a notes page on the back of the update. If you have that and a pen, maybe. If you notice, I left it completely blank today. Woohoo! You can write down what you want or nothing at all, okay? Or if you have a scrap piece of paper or something like that, get that and get a pen, all right? If not, if you don't have any of that, just do this in your brain, okay? Write down on that piece of paper one area one thing, one something from this past year that you struggled trusting God with. One thing, write it down or get it in your brain right now. What is one thing in this past year that you struggled trusting God with? While you're doing it, while you're thinking of yours, I'm gonna share mine. Mine from this past year is struggling to trust God with the salvation of my children. Go figure, God saves. (laughs) 
oh, God, I'm struggling to trust you. I just want them to know Jesus. So bad. And I'm like, Lord, why don't they know you yet? Help them to know you. And then we were in Revelation as a church. And it was like, oh, Lord, come back. And then I was like, oh, no, don't. No, I want my kids to, to know you. And I struggled to trust God. In them. What's yours? Today, this week, with this thing, daily, say, Lord, I am choosing. I am choosing to trust you today in this area. Lord, help me to trust you more in this area. And then take this, go back, husband or wife, friend, small group member, and go to them and say, listen, this is the thing that I struggle to trust God with. Help me, pray for me. When you see me struggling, please come, please point me to Jesus. Hold my feet to the fire. Encourage me in this. One more thing I want you to write down. Write down one God at work moment or person or something. One God at work moment from this past year that maybe you just thought of this morning. Or maybe looking back, you're like, you know what? I, God was totally doing that in right in front of me. God was totally putting that person right there and I took it for granted and didn't stop and worship him and praise him and thank him in that moment like I should have. While you're thinking of yours, I'll share mine. Man, it's brutal. This passage wrecked me this week, by the way. Um, mine was my wife. So later in Ruth, because you're going to read it this week, um, you'll see that she is like bold. Man, she goes into Boaz and she's like, hey, marry me, basically. <laughs> she's like, marry me. And he looks at her and he calls her uh, a worthy woman, a virtuous woman. Now, really cool. That phrase is only used one other time in the Bible and it's in Proverbs 31 when it describes the Proverbs 31 woman. And in fact, because of that, some people think that maybe Proverbs 31 was written with Ruth in mind. So Ruth is the epitome of this. Amy is my Ruth. And I totally did not praise God enough in this past year for the blessing that it is to have her beside me, to see God working in her life. And I am grateful. What's yours? When you leave today, worship God for that. And then ask him, to help you see more in this new year where he is working right in front of you in your life, in the lives of others and praise him for it. God is at work even when we can't see him in the lives of ordinary people living ordinary lives. He's working his purposes out for his glory, and for our good, trust him. God is at work. See him.
Father, we love you. Father, forgive us for not trusting you. Lord, help us increase our faith to trust you more. Lord, help us to see you at work right in front of us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you so graciously give us glimpses of hope in how you are working. Help us to be better about looking for you at work in others' lives and celebrating with them and rejoicing with them and taking every opportunity we can to point them to you. Lord, we love you. Help us to see you bigger in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.